Okay, I feel bad. I do. I really feel bad because we have not talked about the hit movie Revenge of the Nerds on this podcast. Today's your day. You've probably been wondering why not? Why not focus on Lambda, Lambda, Lambda and some of the troubles they had as a fraternity in the 80s? At Adams College, Lambda, Lambda, Lambda made their mark. Endless stories, some incredible triumphs along the way. But I think we need to address some of the backwards things in the hit movie. Was it a hit? I don't really know. In my world, oddly, it was highly influential. Probably shouldn't have been. But Revenge of the Nerds, the first time I saw it, it stuck with me. And to this day, I don't think I've seen a movie more times than Revenge of the Nerds. None of the sequels were good. But the original, powerful. Now, the plot is simple. If you've never seen it, a bunch of nerds can't really find housing on campus, so they're forced into the gym. And in the gym, they realize we can start our own fraternity. So they have to find an old dilapidated house and fix it up and then turn it into a frat. But of course, they have rivals, the Alpha Betas, led by Stan Gable. And the Alpha Betas get all the hot chicks. The nerds don't. But guess what? By the end of the movie... The nerds revolt, and they get the hot chicks. Sounds simple enough, but as I thought about this movie, I realized how politically incorrect it is. Now, it's a movie from 1984, so a lot of things have changed, of course. Things that you probably wouldn't see in movies today. So back then, Lambda 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 was a fraternity for nerds, except for the fact that Lamar was in the fraternity, and he wasn't nerdy at all. He was just gay. Whoever wrote the script to Revenge of the Nerds thought, you know what, Lamar belongs in that frat. He was not a nerd. He was just gay. And his limp-wristed, javelin-throwing style was underappreciated. Also, Takashi. Takashi was not really a nerd. He was just Japanese. That's all. Takashi was just Japanese. And in the tricycle race, they played a hit Japanese song, that Takashi was able to find the right motivation and the beers didn't affect his system because the nerds were so smart. They had a potion where alcohol didn't really cause them to reach a point of inebriation where they would fall off the tricycle. If this just sounds like gibberish, then you have not seen Revenge of the Nerds. There are jokes about African-Americans that you wouldn't see in movies today. Not to act like everything is PC today. I still know there's offensive comedy material out there. But Revenge of the Nerds, if I rewatch it nowadays, it's a completely different experience. And I think that happens with a lot of things that I experienced as a kid. Three's Company was one of my favorite shows. Three's Company was funny. It was great. Mr. Furley made me laugh. Jack Tripper made me laugh. Larry at the Regal Beagle, he made me laugh. But if you really think about the plot of the show, John Ritter's character, Jack, had to lie to the landlord and say he was gay just so he could live with two women in an apartment in L.A. That's it. I think that's really the whole plot of the show. Am I forgetting something? That doesn't make any sense. Come on, knock on my door. All right, here I got the script. Jack is straight. But he's going to have to tell the Ropers and Mr. Furley that he's gay. So it's okay for him to live with two women. I don't even understand what the problem would have been if Mr. Furley or the Ropers knew that Jack was straight. But the hijinks that ensue on Three's Company all surround that topic. How about Archie Bunker? All in the family? Way before my time, but wasn't he just a blatant racist? 
Yet America gathered around the television to laugh as Carol O'Connor, who played Archie Bunker, just made racist jokes. The guy didn't like black people. And America joined together to watch All in the Family. A Norman Lear creation. By the way, a great Norman Lear documentary exists. If you care to learn about one of the top producers and writers in the history of Hollywood, really, really good documentary about Norman Lear. Probably on Netflix. Isn't everything. But you see, nowadays, a lot of people think that they are seeing the most scathing, pushing of the envelope TV. It's not. Outside of probably South Park and Family Guy, which are the two adult cartoons that are very popular nowadays, most shows are still pretty PC. So keep this definition in mind. When I say PC, I'm not talking about personal computers, folks. Politically correct. We all know it. I even wrote the definition down for this podcast. It's used to describe language, policies, or measures that are intended to avoid offense or disadvantage to members of particular groups in society. So we throw it around all the time, don't we? Ooh, that's not PC. Ooh, not exactly PC. As a high school teacher, I have to be PC every day. Luckily, it comes naturally to me, for the most part. That should be a natural quality for teachers in America, to be politically correct. But it is kind of weird to say politically correct. Politically correct is defined as avoiding offense to members of particular groups in society. Who's the top politician in this country? His name is Donald Trump, a name I haven't even brought up on this podcast. But he's probably the least politically correct person of all time. And I know that's a hot topic. A lot of people fall into the category like me where they're just sick of Trump talk. Like, don't even want to engage in the conversations. They feel so passionate about it that it's almost a waste of time to engage on both sides. Whether you're the biggest Trump supporter or the biggest Trump hater, haven't you reached that moment where you're like, you know what, I don't even want to. I don't even want to get into it. I have felt the Trump fatigue, the overkill. Aren't we all drained by now? Every day, a new dramatic story. My formative years, the Clinton era, I mean, outside of the Monica Lewinsky scandal, I don't remember talking about Clinton every single day. I don't remember Clinton being the monologue for every late night talk show host to just go on and on and on and on and on about. You know, Clinton, he played the saxophone on Arsenio. The economy was pretty good under him. And the Lewinsky scandal. We all remember that. It's funny, we remember the scandals. Can I tell you a lot about Clinton's policies? Not really. And I guess I was younger back then, but still, nowadays, when you discuss Trump, you're discussing so many different categories. The person, the policies, the backlash... The impact on media. I think that's the most interesting is that the media who rip them apart, they're doing really well because of them. The ratings are great. Saturday Night Live, their ratings have never been better. Stephen Colbert on CBS. You ever watch a Stephen Colbert monologue? It's all Trump. There's no other jokes told. His ratings are phenomenal. Rachel Maddow, great ratings. Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, great ratings. So it's the ultimate contradiction. I think we would all admit that these big companies, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, And yes, even Fox, a lot of them who are criticizing Trump this entire time behind closed doors, they are counting the cash. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. That's the sound effect of money. That's my casino sound effect. But when ratings soar, advertising dollars arrive, and why would you change anything? For me personally, I love when serious topics involve a little humor, which is why Weekend Update with Colin Jost and Michael Shea, it's so damn good. At first, I didn't love the duo, but now it's like the best weekend update I've ever seen on Saturday Night Live. Better than any of them. Better than Norm MacDonald, better than Kevin Nealon. Most were better than Colin Quinn. Better than Fallon, better than Faye, better than Polar, better than Chevy Chase. 
better than Julia Louis-Dreyfus's husband, Brad something, who I think did it in the 80s when no one watched. But Michael Shea and Colin Jost, they talk about Trump and Trump and Trump because it works and it works and it works. People tune in. They love it. Could you imagine if they just didn't? I mean, I think I'd be okay with it, but a lot of people might be unsatisfied. People are now addicted to the coverage. And it is 100% the reality television show addiction, that feeling of, oh, I got to see the next tweet. And then you throw your phone across the room, and then two minutes later, you slowly walk to your phone because you can't wait to see the backlash of that tweet or that post or the message board where people are just threatening one another. How about the anger that boils over? We've all been there, reading a message board that we know we shouldn't be reading because these are just a bunch of morons screaming at each other. No one's listening anymore. Just screaming their opinions. Nobody's listening. I do wonder if Trump just sits back and enjoys the chaos. I think he does. Me, personally, I'm the opposite. I fear chaos. I try for order. The man leading this country loves it. But of course, I digress. That's not what this podcast was about. I was just getting into reality TV shows a little bit. So no better reality TV show right now than our current president. And if you look at the words politically correct, it involves politically. And most of you are like, yeah, I fucking knew that. But it is kind of funny looking back at some of the old shows I was watching in the 80s and just the plots would not work today. We're a little more cautious with how minorities are portrayed in TV and movies. Now, it's not perfect, but it has improved a little bit. It'll probably never be perfect. If most Hollywood executives are rich white people, kind of like most politicians, then you're not going to see dramatic changes. You know, Hollywood executives are the puppeteers for what we all consume as a nation, the movies we go to. It's still similar. Still a lot of white actors getting the roles. But our good friend Gandhi once said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. So I like the fact that a lot of people are not relying on Hollywood. They're trying to write their own scripts, get them made independently, shop them around to producers, and avoid the mainstream system. It's tough, but a lot of people are creating art today. There's so much art that's being created that isn't consumed by the masses because I think people are a little disenchanted with the traditional avenues of getting your art out there, getting famous. So now the indie world is hot It's kind of how I feel about a lot of the podcasts I listen to. A lot of them aren't like truly famous being listened to by so many people, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. A lot of musicians who are just playing in coffee houses are talented. A lot of the student movies that are being produced at the high school I work at are pretty good. All right, what the hell am I talking about? I truly don't know. I feel like the last 10 minutes has just been an outer body experience. I should probably drink a little more water before we start these podcasts, because when you bring a little hint of dehydration, it just becomes that delirious mindset where you think you're making some solid points, but I'm probably not explaining everything. Like, it sounds good when these words are just jumping around my brain, but what's coming into the microphone, who knows? Oh yeah, by the way, in terms of politically incorrect, the character on Growing Pains that died, his name was Boner on the show. Characters on shows aren't named Boner anymore. And how many times can I reference Growing Pains on this podcast? But his name was Richard Stabone. He was Michael Seaver's best friend. Yet, they all just called him Boner. This is a mainstream network television show. And Boner was the best friend? I remember actually being on the air. I forget who my co-host was, though. Years ago, we used to do segments about pop culture Yeah, it was sports radio, but we still talked about breaking news, breaking TMZ, scintillating gossip news. 
And one of the stories that popped up while I was live on the air was the fact that he was missing. The actor who played Boner on Growing Pains went missing. And it is a sad ending. He was found dead. But I wasn't reporting that news. I was just reporting the facts as they were coming across the television screen. So the real guy's name was like Andrew Andy Koenig Koenig. I don't know. But as I was reading through the story, I had to get to the part where his name on the show was Boner. So I was trying to do, you know, the broadcaster's serious tone. Uh, Breaking news this hour into the news desk. Former child actor Andrew Koenig, who played Boner on the hit show Growing Pains, is missing. And it was a sad story. And I remember my producer looking at me and my co-host looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you not realize that you're probably adding a little too much humor to this story unintentionally? Boner was kind of like what Vinny was to Doogie Howser, MD, to Mike Seaver. I feel like these references are falling flat. But you remember Doogie Howser, dee 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 And then he would journal at the end of the show on his personal computer, on his PC, what he learned that day at the hospital being like, what, an 11, 12-year-old doctor? Wasn't it always the same episode? People doubted my abilities today. But I think once they saw me in surgery, that all changed. Dee 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 dee. And then Vinny would come in through the window. Doog! Vinny was like the Larry from the Regal Beagle. He always wanted Doogie to get away from what he was doing. That was Larry. Larry always wanted Jack to get away from what he was doing. Come on! There's two blondes down at the Regal Beagle. By the way, in San Diego, there really is a place called Regal Beagle, an alehouse and sausage restaurant. It's pretty good. I actually went in there on my birthday once years ago, and I asked the guy, so Regal Beagle, you Big Three's company fan? And he said, actually, I am. And proceeded to say, do you want me to put it on the TVs? He had like a DVD box set of season three, Three's Company. Hell yes. So there I was at the Regal Beagle watching big flat screen televisions of old episodes of Three's Company on my birthday, probably when I was turning 28. That's a story that nobody needed to hear. That's a real boring story, but we move on. I wrote down some things in TV shows and movies that always look fake to me. Always look fake to me. Tell me if you agree. When people are sleeping, the room's always lit. There's always like a glimmer of light over the people in their bed. I realize you can't just have a show or a movie scene where they're sleeping or talking in bed and it's pitch black. I get it, but it's a little annoying. I personally know that I need pitch black in order to sleep. And some movies and TV shows, they make it look like it's dark in the room, but it's like a bright light sliver right on top of them. Bugs me. Always a lit room during sleep scenes. You've noticed that, though. This is nothing new. Uh, Also, things in TV shows and movies that always look fake to me. Uh, Shootouts. When cars are driving away, the cars always get away. Bullets never hit tires. If it's a car chase scene... Involving a shootout, and we've all seen this. No car has ever had their tire popped by one of these bullets. Just once. Just once in a shootout chase scene, I'd like to see the car go, ah, you got us. Like 15 yards into the chase, right at the beginning. Because that's when it would happen. There's like just 10 guys shooting Uzis at this car, and it always gets away. It always gets away. Glass doesn't even shatter. Cars always get away. So I think that bugs me, or otherwise I just have accepted it. Um, Also, barfing, vomiting. Have you noticed this? Actors always have just enough fake barf in their mouth during all vomit throw-up scenes where it's just one heave. 
So next time you're seeing a TV show or a movie where the actor or actress is barfing, notice it's always just one, and that's it. We all know that throwing up is a series of painful heaves. You'll never see that in a movie or a TV show. It's always just one, and it drops on the ground or in the toilet, and it's done. That's not throwing up. I think these method actors really need to study that art. And finally, uh, TV shows and movies, people always just answer the door. Doorbell rings, they answer it. They don't say, who is it? They don't look through peepholes. They just answer doors. We don't answer doors. Humans don't answer doors. They A, pretend they're not home and hope whoever it is will just go away. They B, look through the peephole and still pretend they're not home. C, they look through the people and then they open the door. But there's no just open the door, right? Anybody just opening the door, notice that every time there's ding dong in a show, the actor or actress just opens it up. And I realize they're probably trying to condense time, but I need a little more reality to my TV. Speaking of reality to my TV, I don't really watch reality television anymore. I used to watch a little bit, but I did get to meet Bruce Jenner when he was Bruce Jenner, now Caitlin, because a couple times a year they would send us radio hosts to celebrity golf tournaments where we would be at the end of the round after the 18th hole, whoever was playing, usually 85% athletes and then you know some singers and some actors, just a bunch of celebrities, and our producer would run and get them on our shows. So yes, I met Alan Thicke just so I can get another Growing Pains reference into this podcast. Nice guy. May he rest in peace. Alan Thicke was a great guy. Loved talking about the show. At no point was he like, come on, I've moved on. He was all about it. Show me that. You know what I mean. But then Bruce Jenner sat down. And of course, Bruce Jenner, to this current young generation, is way more known for keeping up with the Kardashians than he is for being a great Olympian, the decathlete. But I said, I am going to please this man. I am not going to ask about keeping up with the Kardashians. He appreciated that too. I think he was even hesitant to do radio shows because it would just be talking about the Kardashians. But I said, let's talk about the decathlon. And he immediately quizzed me. He goes, how many of the events can you name? I think I got seven or eight. But Bruce Jenner, that man won the gold medal, the decathlon at the summer games in 76. Now you say the name Bruce Jenner, people aren't really thinking about the decathlon as much, but he was a good guest. Pretty good golfer, too, I believe. And as he transitioned into a woman named Caitlin, my only hot take is good for him. Isn't it funny how many people took a long time to process this? How many people felt the need to broadcast their opinions on social media and just talk about it? How about just, yeah, good for him, becoming her? I mean, the pronouns are not easy to follow. You don't want to offend anybody by getting the pronouns wrong. But yeah, just how about good for Jenner? That's all. It doesn't always have to be such a giant discussion when we discuss uncommon things. The weird part is it was such a hot topic, the transition, that I imagine his family, who made it their goal in life to create really entertaining reality TV shows, I imagine they looked at that and said, oh yeah, he wins. That actually matters. All of the Kardashians collectively did nothing that matters For many years, and I can say this because I've seen it. I've actually watched a full season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Now, don't worry. I've retired that part of me. I've killed off that part of me. I wouldn't enjoy it anymore. But there was a point in my life where I watched a full season and nothing fucking happened. 
from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode. But the editing is amazing. They always make you feel like you have to stay tuned. After this commercial break, we're going to have crying. Someone's going to have a drink in their face. Someone's going to fall. Someone's going to fight. And then it never really happens. It always kind of happens. It's all manufactured. But the best thing they do is next time on Keeping Up With The Kardashians, just like every reality show, it's always based on on the next episode of, and the way they edit the sneak peek at the next episode, you go, I'm hooked. It's weird. It's like they understand our brain chemistry, what hooks us, but nothing ever happened. And the one guy who was the father on the show, he actually created a true storyline in real life about something that mattered. They must hate him. They must be so jealous. Oh, wow. He went for a transitioning storyline and it's real. What do we have? Nothing. All right. That'll be my last Kardashian take of the Here We Go podcast. Don't worry. You survived it. And come on, admit it. You kind of liked it. All right. Here's how we're ending today. I'm a fancy person. I can prove that. I've been to a Metallica concert and actually met the band. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not even a big Metallica fan. Not a fan of heavy metal. Could probably name one of their songs. But one of my best friends in life since I was 10 years old is also the mayor of Novato. His name is Josh Friday. And he's good friends with the drummer for Metallica, Lars. So what's weird is when he said, do you want to go to a Metallica concert? Initially, I was like, eh, kind of. Like, I don't like the music, but most concerts are fun experiences. So I said, sure. And it was the night before the Super Bowl in Santa Clara at Levi's Stadium. And they should have been the halftime show. And they played at AT AT&T Park where the Giants play. And it was spectacular. Don't worry, this story is not for me to just brag. All right, maybe it is a little bit, but stay with me. So we go to the Metallica concert and immediately hit the VIP section because Josh is friends with Lars. Lars is friends with Josh. And Josh is not the biggest Metallica fan either, but they have a true friendship. So as we go up to that will call window, they give us all the wristbands in the world. This gives you access to that. This gives you access to that. This gives you access to this party. This gives you access to that. This gives you access to the snake pit. This gives you access to the drum room. It was fucking unbelievable. I've never had so much access. So we, of course, go to the pre-party, and there's the band. Lars comes right up to Josh Friday. They start talking. And by the end of the night, we went to an after party. Okay, this definitely just sounds like I'm bragging. But there is a point. We went to an after party where Larry Bear was there. Benioff was there. Sean Parker from Napster was there. A lot of celebs. Brad Gilbert, the tennis star, was there. The band, Metallica, I should mention, there at this Mexican restaurant near the ballpark. You know, Josh Friday is an expert schmoozer. He's introducing me to everybody. And I thought to myself, this is a weird society. You know, it was really the only night of my life where I was rubbing shoulders, actually barely rubbing shoulders with these big wealthy celebs. And I thought to myself, are they more happy? It's a classic question, right? Are wealthy people happier? Answer that right now. As you're listening to this podcast, take a moment. This is like a fill in the blank. Answer that question. Are wealthy people happier? I think for a large percentage of my life, I would answer, yeah, of course. Of course. They could afford anything at any restaurant, any trip to any country, any vacation. They go to malls. Why even look at prices? You could buy everything. You go on a car lot. You could buy anything. You're looking for a house. You could buy any of them. So it sounds like they're happier, right? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think a lot of the people I met that night seemed miserable. They seem like stressful people. Like, it's so stressful to be rich and famous, or at least rich. But think about that. Really break it down for a moment. You have a big house. There's more to clean. You can't have cobwebs in your 14th room. You got to think about that. Scheduling the housekeeper to come over. 
You got the fanciest car, now you're worried about where you park it everywhere you go. You can't have dings. You know the worry about dings when you park too close to someone's car? If you have a shitty car, who cares about the ding? If you're wealthy and you have that nice car, the ding probably haunts you every day. The ding. Although, of course, you're going, but aren't they rich enough to just take it to the auto shop and get the ding fixed? Yeah, but that's the stress of scheduling an appointment. How many of us enjoy scheduling appointments? Yeah, but you're saying, don't they have somebody to do that for them? Yeah, I guess. Am I just having an internal dialogue right now? But there's a lot of examples of how the key to happiness, you know, it's probably having enough money to survive. We all know Maslow's hierarchy, his triangle, where your basic needs need to be met in order for you to climb up that pyramid to reach the next level of what you're going to worry about. But if you have everything really taken care of, you know that you'll never have another financial worry for the rest of your life. It is human nature that you will still find something to worry about. Ain't that some shit? Look at Lars. Look at the drummer. Metallica's drummer. He is rich. He is famous. Beautiful wife. You think he's happy every day of his life? Nah, probably not. Probably stressed out. There was even a documentary about Metallica. They needed therapy as a band. They needed therapy as a band. Every day they were unhappy as a band. And I know there was some unintentional comedy to it, but really, you can't envy their situation. So I've stopped. I've completely stopped viewing wealth as a key to happiness. And it's liberating. It's freeing. I highly recommend it. And it is clearly represented by my career choice. When you tell somebody you're a teacher, a lot of them want to respond with, oh, I hear that's a great job, but not really well-paying. And you see the strikes, teachers going on strike all across America, from West Virginia to Arizona. And you hear about, you know, the unions fighting and fighting and fighting, and how some teachers are undervalued. Actually, many teachers are undervalued. But still, at the end of the day, I love this career. I would never say it's time for me to stop being a teacher because I'm not getting wealthy. You kind of know what you're getting into. Would you like a little more money? Yeah, of course. I went down a deep path right there, didn't I? You followed me. You followed me all the way down that path. But just like any job, teacher, you name it, any job in the world, as great as it sounds, drummer for Metallica, as bad as it sounds, you mop up Burger King's toilets after a day you'll probably realize that you got to focus on the positives. I know that's the easiest advice you've ever heard, but it's human nature to sometimes dwell on that one negative. So most of my classes, I have about 31, 32, 33 students. If one of them is a major headache for me, just a big challenge, I tend to go home and think about that student. Whereas I have so many students who are just remarkable, exceptional, impressive contributing great things to the school and to my classes, yet for some weird reason, the human brain can be wired to take home the one thing, sweating the small stuff. You got to rewire your brain. That's my goal in life, to rewire my brain so I don't sweat the small stuff, so that those little things in every single job, you know those little things that bug you every day, but if you take a step back and you were to focus on the positives, you'd love your job. Most people would be able to love their job. Even the guy mopping up the bathrooms at Burger King, there's probably a few things he likes about that job. He probably gets a free Whopper once a week. He should focus on the free Whopper instead of mopping up the puddle of piss, which he probably hates. But maybe they let him listen to a podcast while he's doing his job. Maybe he should focus on that element of it, that he could have earbuds at work and go away to a better place. A couple of recommendations as I wrap this bad boy up. John Mulaney's new Netflix special. It's one of the best comedy sets I've ever seen. Definitely in the last 20 years. It's weird how all comedians could be talking about the same topics like Trump, but the ability to say something extraordinarily funny 
that nobody else is saying. That's such a challenge. John Mulaney, watch the special. It's called Kid Gorgeous. He actually achieves that goal. Take a topic that everybody's talking about. Everybody in America is talking about Trump. But what he said, his bit is amazingly funny and bright. It's that feeling like as you're laughing, you're saying, damn, this dude is smart. Like you're equally impressed and cracking up. And then I could give you a preview for something to come. Nick Swartzen is on tour and he has a new special that he's going to be filming soon. But Nick Swartzen, who I guess most people know from Adam Sandler's movies, Grandma's Boy, Bucky Larson, some of the worst movies ever, but really juvenile, sophomoric, actually the most childish comedian out there. It's all poop and fart jokes. So why? Why do I love it so much? I don't know. I guess there's a 12-year-old that lives deep within me that still needs that kind of humor. See, I love the smart John Mulaney stuff, but last Saturday I went to the Masonic Theater with my buddy Rick. We saw Nick Swartzen put on a brilliant 70 minutes of gold. And it was weird. It's a big theater, the Masonic Theater in Knob Hill. If you've never been there, it's a fantastic venue. But as we were sitting down, seven minutes to showtime, it's half full. As the lights go down, all of a sudden it fills up. That is because his crowd is the drunkest crowd in comedy. Everybody was still hanging out at the bars in the concourse level, not getting to their seats until they had to, until they pounded enough shots. So he performs to a raging crowd of drunks. Just debauchery. Just buffoonery. But he thrives on it. And they still kind of listen to him, but it's a wild show. Swordson's next special. Oh, it'll be good. His opener was probably the worst comedian on earth, but his set, very good. Getting very serious about Swartzen. All right, that'll do it for episode... Actually, what episode is this? Uh, It is episode 15. That's right. That'll do it for episode 15. Appreciate you listening. Uh, Drop a review on iTunes. Why not? Five stars, baby. Five stars. Don't fuck me with three stars. You go five stars. All right, this one was a weird one. I just felt it was weird the whole time from the jump, but we got through it. Episode 15, Quince. It's now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.